Greetings, my name is Adam Draycott and you are watching the online ministry of St Augustine's Anglican Church in Burrell. Uh, this has been prepared for the 18th of July. Our sentence of scripture comes from Psalm 54. Behold, God is our helper. The Lord is the upholder of our life. With a free will offering, let us sacrifice to him. Give thanks to the name of the Lord, for it is good. It is good indeed. Uh, we're going to rejoice at the goodness of God. Uh, now by reflecting on uh, some music, which I invite you to participate in.
bucolic prayer for today. Let us pray. Lord, be merciful to your people. Fill us with your gifts. Make us always eager to serve you in faith, hope and love. Uh, grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Well, that's a great prayer to be praying uh, as we begin uh, a four-part series on godly leadership. Uh, today marks our first talk. Uh, our preaching passages come from... Proverbs 11, verses 23 through to chapter 12, verse 7. Psalm 124 to Timothy, chapter 2, verses 8 to 26. That's our preaching passage. And if you'd like a gospel reading, Matthew 7, verses 13 to 23 are appropriate. As we uh, continue in the ministry of God's word, let me pray. Father God, we thank you that we can uh, gather in this way to be fed and nurtured by you through the ministry of your word. Be at work by your spirit, growing us to be more and more like Jesus, even as we think about this important topic. We ask for your help and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, today marks the first talk in our series on godly leadership. And as I preach for the next four weeks, uh, there will be times when I'm riffing on this book. I don't know if you can see that properly, but anyway, Faithful Leaders uh, and the Things That Matter Most by Rico Tice. I commend it to you. Uh, question, why do a series on godly leadership? Well, why not? Um, at St. Augustine's, we have five core values and godly leadership is core value number five. Uh, we have an, an annual general meeting coming up where we're going to be thinking about uh, appointing leaders and uh, voting for parish councillors. So it's good for us to think about this. Now, you might be tempted to sit there and sit back and go, well, I'm not a leader and this doesn't apply to me. And I'm going to respond to that by saying, no, but if you're not a leader, you're a follower. And followers have leaders. Who is it that you want to lead you? What are the characteristics of a leader that you want to lead you, if that's the case? What do you expect of your church leaders? Are there biblical obligations that we have? What does godly biblical leadership look like? It's a question that impacts all of us. There's no getting out of it. Uh, it raises questions like who can serve in the church. And we're not only governed by ordinance and by faithfulness in service. Uh, the Bible has strong things to say, important things. Who should serve? Impacts the way we appoint SRE teachers or Sunday school teachers or youth group leaders. It impacts the way we appoint service leaders or people who pray in church or, or those that read the Bible or provide music or parish counsellors, wardens, Bible study leaders, preachers, staff members, lay leaders, the list goes on. Maybe you're watching this from an out, out centre, a smaller centre or a small parish. Uh, maybe hypothetically, imagine someone pops up their head and says, I'll do it. 
I'll preach from here on in. And pragmatically, we might be just tempted to go, yeah, you beauty, what an answer to prayer. You go for it. Or when we uh, appoint, elect parish councillors. Uh, so often, it, it just seems to fall on those who are willing and available. And, and we do, we fall for it. We just do whatever works. Uh, we choose the path of least resistance. We take the easy option or the only option even. And I'm going to ask you, is it really as easy as that? Should it be as easy as that? On this topic, here's another question. Maybe if uh, we're evangelicals, we rightly talk up the priesthood of believers. We level out the ground between church leader and, and the average punter in the pew, right? But maybe we're so desperate to correct that flaw in our churchmanship, and, and that's right. Maybe we've done it at the cost of the dignity of the office that our leaders are called to. That means the biblical view of leadership is inadvertently cast aside. We don't mean to do it, but oh, this is what we've done. Now that's ironic, isn't it? And it's a great shame. So here we are. Success is hearing well done from the only lips that matter. Failure is being good at things that don't matter at all. Success is not about the size of one's house or the behaviour of one's children. Success is not about the size of one's parish budget or the number of bums on pews each week. It's not about praise from those around me or how affirmed I might feel. What is success in ministry? Well, 2, two Timothy is going to tell us. 2 Timothy is one book in the what we call the pastoral letters they were authored by the apostle written rather <laughs> by the apostle paul the apostle paul's in prison he faces execution his church plants are struggling uh, there's either internal division and strife or there's external persecution and in prison the apostle paul is oblivious to what the future holds to what is to come and what is to come well we know that the Apostle Paul's church plants, all that ministry that he's been doing, that he's laid seeds for the explosion of Christianity throughout history and now the world. He doesn't know even that the same very Romans that imprison him, yeah, those guys, they're actually going to one day embrace and promote Christianity. Go figure. By every worldly measure here, at this point in time, Paul is an abject failure. He's in jail. Yet, he takes time out, because he's got plenty, I guess. He gives his ministry apprentice, Timothy, this letter. His ministry apprentice. And verse 15, I think, is our key verse. Can you see it? Chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. Verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Here is real success. Live every day in a way that means that on a future day, you will hear the divine, well done. How though? How do we do that? Well, two things. 
Two things. We've got to get the word right. We need to get our character right. The one whom God approves is the one who, verse 15, correctly handles the word of truth. And when I say the word of truth, I mean the scriptures. I mean the Bible. This must be an anchor for our ministry. Whatever it is, whatever shape it has, the anchor of our ministry must be God's word. More, uh, here is an anchor for God-approved ministry. Why? Because it's God's. It's God's word. It's his. He breathed it out by his spirit. It's the ultimate authority. It tells us what is true or what other, we might otherwise call doctrine. And because we've got good doctrine in our heads, it comes out of us in our lives. It shapes the way we live. We follow, we live in light of what we, is, we know to be true, good doctrine. And so God said, end of story. So, you know, how's the form of any preacher that has God's word read out publicly in church, how arrogant it would be to base his sermon on anything other than what was read out. But sadly, such preaching is too common. Where the word is read out and it's completely ignored by the preacher. Or the preacher just cherry picks a verse here and there to justify whatever it is that he wants to say. No way. Come back, have a look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 and see that success in ministry is correctly handling a word of truth. So our Sunday school teachers, our Bible study leaders, those who lead prayers, you know, you can pray in a a biblically informed way where we display a heart for the truth of God's word. We pray in light of what the scriptures say. It's a great way to pray. Or parish counsellors. We want kingdom-minded parish counsellors and leaders, uh, and they're kingdom-minded because they've got their heads in the word. It's shaped by the word. And so again, how do we do that? Well, you can see it there, verse 15. Do your best. Give it a crack. Work hard at it. Handling God's word, properly done, is hard work. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what stage of your Christian life this is. In verses earlier, Paul has likened ministry to the life of a soldier, athlete, and farmer. You can see that in verses um, uh, 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7. What is common in all three, the soldier, athlete and farmer? Well, reward. They're not doing it for nothing. There's a reward. But all uh, require disciplined, single-mindedness, hard and patient work. Uh, You know, teaching God's word, it's not what unlike farming, is it? It takes time. You plough, you sow, you water, you wait, you harvest, and then you go again. It's, it's long work. It takes time. So there's a prayer point. We could pray for the patient perseverance of our leaders. Learning God's word, though, is the same. Learning how to read it and correctly handle it. That takes time as well. If you're a new Christian struggling with that, be patient. It takes a long time. Uh, That phrase correctly handles. 
It's quite literally, it means to, to cut straight. Uh, people, uh, the preacher, cut straight with the, the word of God. John Calvin puts it like this, that we're to do with God's word what a father does with a loaf of bread for his children. He cuts it straight into manageable, digestible pieces. Oh, a digestible, manageable sermon. Wouldn't that be lovely? To cut straight also relates to the way that the Romans used to build their roads as the road would cut through the countryside. Uh, They were highly visible and they were direct, these Roman roads. No obscure not even twisted or complicated. Uh, no, as we handle God's word, correctly handle it, the idea is that we cut it straight, uh, that we communicate in a visible, direct, clear, manageable, digestible way. Of course, we labour not for the approval or applause of our congregation or other people, Uh, I'm not doing this for YouTube likes or clicks on Facebook. Uh, This is all for the glory of God. And so we present ourselves before God as one approved. Under God, we preach the word, regardless of what the prevailing culture thinks about God's word. We do it. Despite possible ridicule or likely ridicule now, despite likely offence, no, we, we just cut it straight. We preach the word. We present ourselves to God as one approved who correctly handles the word of truth. And so this is the first principle in godly leadership. Uh, we work as people approved who correctly handle the word of truth. That's the first principle. Now, as you looked at chapter 2 of Timothy, as it was read out, I hope you paused and had it read out for you, out loud is good. Um, Paul is writing against the backdrop of another kind of ministry. It's the ministry of uh, two characters, Hymenaeus and Philetus. We, well, they get a mention there in uh, verse 17 and 18. Uh, Paul is being quite clear uh, so verse 17, their teaching will spread like gangrene among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has taken place. They destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, and on he goes, uh, he's highly critical. He's basically saying, if Philetus is preaching, don't go and listen to him. If Hymenaeus is leading a Bible study, I don't want you there. Uh, why? Well, their ministry ruins hearers. Verse 14, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's no value. Only ruins those who listen. And then verse 17, he says, it spreads like gangrene. Uh, it's catastrophic. It ruins. Their ministry doesn't feed souls. Their ministry feeds on souls. And it's false, false teaching. It's, it's not just a different point of view where we, we're all tolerant and inclusive and, oh, you're allowed your point of view. No, the Apostle Paul says it's gangrene. And if it's gangrene, then no one can say, ah, oh, it doesn't really matter. Don't worry about it. 
No one can say that. And so we must stand against it. We must resist the temptation to swerve from the, from the truth. We must see that it is catastrophic. How does it creep in? It creeps in when we start thinking like the world and, ca- and catering to the world, pandering to the world. Verse 16, it, it looks like godless chatter. It's a reverent babble where worldly priorities trump biblical truth. Okay, well, what was the particular problem with Hymenaeus and Philetus? They're preaching that the resurrection had already taken place. That's verse 18. And in doing so, they've destroyed the faith of some. What they're actually saying is, in saying that the resurrection's already taken place, They're trying to say that you can experience the resurrection life right now. That the new you is now. No more pain now. No more hardship now. No more difficulty now. No more suffering now. All of that can be gone, provided, of course, that you have enough faith. Now, what does that sound like? Have you heard this before? it's still out there. It's called the prosperity gospel and it's still attractive to many. It's like popular culture dressed up as Christianity, quite frankly. That's the idea that you can have this victorious life with no worries, a life of complete wellness and even financial abundance. You can have it now. Now, hold up that idea and compare it to Paul. Where is Paul again? Oh, he's in jail. That's right. This is the same Paul that in Acts 14 verse 22 says that we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Yeah, have fun selling that. I mean, which one seems more attractive? But that's the thing with false teaching, isn't it? It does sound attractive. It does. It dazzles. But as it dazzles, it distorts. And as it distorts, it diverts. And then finally, having diverted us, it'll destroy us. Uh, False teaching dazzles because it's vibrant. It's exciting. People clamor for it. It's popular. It distorts. Even with the slightest Slightest nudge, a small matter of degree, a small matter of degree in the beginning uh, can end in a big margin of change at the end. Look at any protractor. You had one at school, didn't you? You know, it starts with a small margin of change, but at the end, it's quite the gap widens, and that's the point. It dazzles, it distorts, it diverts, because I want it now. I want to be pain free now. I don't want to suffer. Who wants to suffer? I want to be free of it. And Paul, he's just negative, right? He's in jail. What a loser. Now, I'm going for the victorious life. Is that right? And then, having been dazzled and having had the truth distorted and diverted, it then destroys. Because, you know, I prayed for my mother and she still died. Well, we wanted kids and they never happened. Or that temptation, that temptation that still grabs me. I still struggle with it. It hasn't gone anywhere. The life I thought God promised never appeared. 
Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe I'm not good enough. Is God even there? And pop, there it goes. You see, false teaching. I mean, we know it can be really obvious and really outrageous. But sometimes it's just sneaky. Sneaky and subtle. It's sneaky and subtle when people leave out the stuff they just don't like. Or like when we open up the Bible and it contains warnings and we just oh, we're just going to gloss over those warnings. Or, or when the Bible gives us commands. Oh, we're not going to worry about those commands today. And the whole counsel of God is not preached and taught. And that's a problem. When the hard truths are left out, that is akin to false teaching. It's false teaching by omission. And it's destructive. It's a bit like when segments of the church talk about God's love. They want to talk about God's love. But notice whenever they go, God is love, it's always language devoid of the cross. Which is, which is fairly incredible, I think. If you're going to talk about God's love, why aren't we talking about the cross? But no, we can't talk about the cross because that means if we talk about the cross, then suddenly my sin is real. I have to admit my sin. I have to admit that I've done something wrong, that I need forgiveness. No, we can't talk about the cross. That'll offend people's sensibilities. Because as soon as you talk about the cross, it means talking about the wrath of God. The wrath of God that was poured out on the shoulders of his son. Who bore God's wrath in my place. God's judgment. Oh no, that's offensive to my sensibilities. We can't talk about that. Can't talk about the cross. Because it means admitting that I need salvation. I need to be saved. Whatever our culture's many points of difference doesn't matter what it is, whether it's the gender debate or same-sex marriage, it always comes down, actually, the, the point of difference is much deeper than those issues. The point of difference is a spiritual, eternal difference. It's a matter of salvation. It comes down to the cross. It always does, always has. And so we cut it straight. We don't swerve from the gospel. We don't swerve from the scriptures. Swerving happens when we start thinking like the world thinks. But notice here too, it's a mistake to think that it cannot happen in my church. And it's a mistake to think it can even happen to me or could never happen to me. Take, for example, Josh Harris. Josh Harris uh, was once a prolific church leader and author. He wrote a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye back in the late 1990s, early 2000s, sold millions. Christians loved it. Harris became famous by the age of 21. He was a senior pastor in his early 30s, led a major church. Uh, but now, today, his marriage is over and uh, he's walked away from publicly walked away from Christianity, tossed it in, and he's even apologised to the LGBTI community for standing against what he calls marriage equality. He's chucked it in. 
It's even gonna happen to Josh Harris. It can happen to anybody. Hymenaeus and Philetus were not strangers. And later, Demas is similar. Chapter 4, verse 10. He's described as being in love with the world. He's fallen. These guys were probably in ministry with Paul. They knew the truth. Maybe back in the day they cut the word straight. But slowly and gradually, little by little degree, by little degree, they wandered and the gap got wider and wider. So here's the thing about false teachers. They don't start out as false teachers. They're committed to the word as we are. But if it can happen to Hymenaeus, then it can happen to Timothy. And if it can happen to Josh Harris, then it can happen to you and it can happen to me. So how do we respond? Well, verse 15, are you doing your best? Are you doing your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, but who correctly handles the word of truth. You see what success in leadership, Christian leadership is. It, it revolves around getting God's word right, correctly handling it, cutting it straight. And so we keep working hard at it. Keep working hard at it. Keep working for God's well done because God's well done is the only praise that matters. Amen. Now what I'd like you to do now is to spend some time reflecting on God's word and to pray through that. Pray for our church leaders. Pray for our Bishop Rod Chiswell and other significant leaders like the Dean of our Cathedral, uh, Chris Brennan, uh, the Archdeacons, the clergy of our diocese, our lay workers, our lay ministers, those who uh, look, work so hard to keep our small centres open. Pray for them as they serve. And pray above all else that we will continue uh, to work for an audience of one, that we seek to please our, our Heavenly Father in every way. And, and we do that through a commitment to God's, an unwavering, unswerving commitment to God's word. There's a prayer point. Please also pray for the ministry in Uganda. Uh, there'll be an appeal. You'll see the video um, in a moment. Uh, we're raising money uh, in respect to that partnership. Again, such is the need. Pray for our link missionaries. Pray for the sick, the needy, the outcast, the lonely. But above all else, uh, return thanks to God for his love to us, his great love for us. God is love, and he demonstrates that love for us. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And for us, that is the source of great thanks and praise. Amen.
Hi, Simon Carter from the North Kigizi Partnership, and I want to come to you in this video to talk about supporting our brothers and sisters in Christ who are sharing the gospel in North Kigizi Diocese, but are doing so on an empty stomach, and so uh, we want to support them so they can buy food. Essentially, if you've got the update, you can see that COVID has been um, particularly hard in Uganda. Um, we've seen, you can, you can read about how Bishop Benin succumbed to COVID. He passed away in late June. Um, but not only that, we've also received news that the Dyson Secretary, the retired Dyson Secretary, Godfrey, he also succumbed to COVID and his funeral uh, was in early July. And just this morning, I received news um, that Bishop Edward Mahima, who was part of the initial setting up of this partnership, um, he has become quite ill with COVID, quite seriously ill, and so do continue to pray for him. Bishop Patrick uh, clarified our suspicions when we started to investigate what's happening with this 42-day lockdown, with lockdown since the 7th of June. And Bishop Patrick has clarified that you know, oxygen is, is quite scarce and expensive. Uh, the COVID vaccines have been used up and so there's uh, limits on, on, on the access to that. There's no more actually COVID tests. Uh, so you can't even be diagnosed with COVID uh, properly because there's no COVID tests. The situation is very serious. Andrew Cananera, who you can read about in the update as well, he's uh, reported to us that um, clergy haven't been paid, they haven't received their stipend because churches are closed and because of the seriousness of the situation in the North Kigizi area, or in Uganda as a whole. Our mission is to support gospel workers in the North Kigizi Diocese to be disciple-making disciples of Christ. And if the disciple-making disciples of Christ are on empty stomachs, we can help give them some money so that they can purchase food and continue doing the work that God has commissioned them for. If you turn to the back of your updates, you can see there's um, some banking details there. Please give as you're able. I'm not sure how your family works out. It's been generous. Uh, whether you uh, forego a, a night out or take away or cups of coffee or you actually digging deep so that you can respond because you feel the, the circumstances and the heartache of knowing our brothers and sisters are hungry. Whatever the case, I'm asking you to please be generous. We've been given so much here in Australia. And I want to finish with these words, which actually are a great encouragement. It's a phrase that keeps being said when Christians greet each other in Uganda. The phrase is, or the saying is, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. It's a great reminder of the faithfulness of God. It's a great reminder of the goodness of God. It's a great reminder that whatever the circumstances, and this is said by people who are, have been in very hard circumstances, whatever the circumstances, God works for the good of those who love him. So God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. Please keep praying for the North Kigiri Diocese. Please keep paying, praying to Bishop Patrick, who's the caretaker bishop, and, and consider how you might, and prayerfully consider how you might also be generous in this current circumstance. Thanks.